0: Okay, alright, so we back in for another episode of Shoot Your Shot. I am so happy to be recording. This NBA season is by far one of the best we've gotten in the entire history of this sport. I'm not saying that with an exaggerating sense because... Honestly, the games we've been getting, particularly after All-Star Break, have been mind-blowing. People are going off. The players are going off. The media is going off. Everything is insane when it comes to the NBA world. And I am super happy and proud to be reporting it to my listeners here today. I cannot wait to get into what we have planned for today's episode. We have so much to talk about and dive into. The standings are crazy after the All-Star break. The all-star break itself was crazy from the rooks not scoring anything in the skills challenge to Dame claiming his three-point territory to Kenyon Martin Jr. uh I don't know choking in the dunk contest. We got to meet Mac McClung. He put his name out on the map. He made himself aware of what he's able to do and everyone else just followed suit. He was super confident in the way he did his stuff and man, was everyone else enjoying the show. He put on a hell of a show for everyone that's there. He even didn't go as far as to replicate, or uh, excuse me, he didn't go as far as to basically try to make something new and replicated donks from the past With his own spin on it, which is what we've been needing this entire time. He basically revitalized the dunk contest, which was long gone and pretty much dead as of last year. So I'm super happy Mac McClung was able to come through with his clutch dunk performance. Gave us all a treat to witness up on All-Star Weekend 2023 in Utah. Along with everything else Just being a super crazy weekend, at least for the Saturday portion of it, because I'm not going to lie, there's been a lot of reports and opinions thrown out there about how the All-Star game is not really living up to the hype that we've been accustomed to. I honestly think we've been spoiled because the NBA today is literally miles ahead of where it was even 10 to 20 years ago, given the recent three-point revolution going on. So honestly, we have been spoiled with all the talent and players and skill and magic going on today on the NBA floor When merely 15 to 20 years ago, a 20-point-per-game scorer was considered a quote-unquote great player, now it's the exact opposite because you have around 30 to 40 players averaging over 20 points without even blinking twice. Of course, that could be attributed to the whole scoring uprise of the entire league in general, however... You cannot deny that the skill in today's game is breathtaking and way ahead of what it was a while ago. I want to basically share some of my thoughts on how we could improve the All-Star Game because it is the best players in the world going at it. So people are tuning in and excited to find out what happens Whereas, a lot of the time, the Stars just don't end up really playing that much defense. And even if they don't, like, I'm not saying they should because it's the All-Star game, but we're not getting that many highlights either. So, you would assume if you didn't play defense, then that opens up to floor to crazy athletic finishes, insane lobs, just creative play, Right. However, people playing no defense, you got Joel Embiid, which is basically the leading scorer right now, tied with Luka for 33.1 points a game, at 7 feet, going up for a layup uncontested by anybody within a 5 feet radius. Like, at least give us a standing dunk, hang on the rim, you're not going to get a technical for it. I remember my boy, my personal favorite player, Kyle Lowry, taking charges during the All-Star game like two, three, four years ago. I I just feel like it kind of, it's just like uh, dying (laughs) compared to what it was. Like we, of course, want to see the best players go at it head to head. We did get a little bit of that when it came to Tatum and Brown, and uh, they did not fail to not include Tatum dribbling the ball out of bounds when Brown was guarding him, but yeah, they they released his three all up there for the highlights on every social media page, but not the turnover. But yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of the players try to go for MVP and try to give us a show and put on a performance. However, I feel like come the fourth quarter when something that they actually did was good, which is not have commercials, You'd figure that without timeouts or commercials that it would be a close game. But because of how it was played in the first three quarters, one team was basically already up by 15-20 points. So the the other team, as soon as they scrambled for two-three stops, the other team was shooting half-court threes and making them. So you can't really, like... Get You can't have a competitive game when it comes to something like that. So honestly, I feel like the NBA should put on a little bit more of an emphasis on trying to get the most out of the gameplay so we can get the entire experience with a tight game at the end with the best players in the world going at it, as opposed to a blowout with people missing and airballing half-court threes unless you're Damian Lillard. Which did a really good job filling in for Steph Curry and basically reminded everyone of who he is because he gets eclipsed a lot of the time because of his loyalty. And we're gonna get into how he just basically dropped 71 goddamn points, which is absolutely absurd. We're gonna get into a lot of that stuff later, but. Carrying on about the All-Star break, we really enjoyed the pick-your-player approach live in front of the audience. Kind of gave it that playground play style or feeling when you had as a kid going to play pickup. You wanted to say the look on the person's face who got picked last. We got to enjoy the Joker Jokic basically eliminating that as an option for him, which is so valid, beyond valid, because he's almost embarking on his third straight MVP, which could be breaking a record, so honestly, he is a character, I love how he goes about his game, his attitude, his whole personality, he's just a pleasure to watch, and visualize yourself in his shoes, you'd probably be doing the same thing. He has nothing to worry about. His team's first in the West. He's averaging a triple-double. He has MPJ, um, Jamal Murray, Aaron Gordon, Bruce Brown. He just has dogs on his team. And of course, he is almost a three-time MVP. He just cracked me up personally when he basically just saw himself sitting next to Triple J. And then he was just like, yeah, you ain't picking me last. So he just walked up to LeBron and LeBron started losing it. But yeah, I mean... On top of that, LeBron picking Kyrie might have been a sign. GM was putting in his work telling the Lakers that he wants Kyrie Irving next season because he is an unrestricted free agent for the first time in a minute. And we all saw how that Brooklyn trade blew up right after I released my first episode in a minute, so... We will be getting into that as well. Brooklyn decided to literally blow up the team and they got a really, really good defensive backcourt because of it. I think that the defensive duo of Miles Bridges and Cam Johnson just go crazy. Like, Bridges is literally a fringe all-star. He is such a good player. He just is the definition of a defensive walking bucket, which literally should not be fair in today's NBA because people usually specialize. Mikhail Bridges, not Miles, excuse me, on the other hand, is literally a front court leader for the defensive all-NBA team, the first defensive all-NBA team. And then he's also averaging... A ridiculous insane and absurd 22 points a game on 48% from the th- who does that who shoots 48% from three while being the defensive presence he is I know that's only five games for when he joined the Nets but we're talking about a really good career three-point shooter he shoots 38% for his career from three so the fact that he's not a liability anywhere, along with Cam Johnson, and then you got Dinwiddie back for the Nets. I honestly think with Royce O'Neill, they just have like a really, really, really deep wing depth when it comes to defense. Like their defensive wings go down till the end of the bench and they all shoot threes and they all dunk and they all can handle the ball like they just got super deep from that Kevin Durant trade and they basically got all of their picks back from Phoenix and you got a really really enticed owner and motivated new owner who wants to basically come in with a splash and what better way can you do that than signing one of the best players of all time with Kevin Durant you literally can't make this stuff up he just wanted to basically say that hey I'm here And I'm making this team better because CP3 is on the tail twilight end of his career. And then he basically signs a 34-year-old Kevin Durant, which is still in the late end of his prime, not his career, who's averaging 30 on 55% shooting with 37% from three. Like, you just can't make that up. And the Nets honestly got back the best version they can with Cam Johnson and Mikal Bridges. And... Even Bridges himself came out in the interview with the Nets, and he said that I get it. It's KD. Like I probably would have made that trade too. And that's one of the best players in the young, uh, one of the best young players in the NBA today. So honestly, I think it was a win-win for both teams. It kind of fits each team's timeline. I just kind of feel bad for Mikal because he has his whole life in Phoenix with his friends and his house, his family, everything kind of just got built there for him because that was the team who drafted him. But honestly, I think it's a good opportunity for him to break out as a really, really, like, breakout star rather than being that, like, second, third, fourth option that he was in Phoenix because he was looked at as, like, the best wing defender in the NBA, so now he can do that and kind of, like, become, like, Kawhi, which was basically what Bridges was with Phoenix with the Spurs, and then you saw what he did with my raps in 2019. So I honestly am calling it here right now. He might be the reason why the Nets go really far, and if he doesn't go far with the Nets, I definitely see him being on a championship team because his contributions are insane. I know Josiah, which is the GM of the Nets, and the owners said that they still wanted to remain competitive, So that's a really good move. And if they don't do it, if McHale doesn't do it with Brooklyn, he's definitely going to do it somewhere else because he has championship DNA written all over him. He plays the game the right way. He's a super unselfish player and he just opens everything up for anyone on his team. He can basically play with a bunch of people from the street because he can defend everyone. He can score on everyone and he can handle the ball. So... He literally has no weaknesses. He's just a straight walking defensive bucket, which is super rare in today's NBA. So that trade kind of just blew up the entire NBA. And then you also saw Kyrie leave, which kind of propelled KD to leave. But honestly, I think Kyrie on the Mavs is going to be more of a ro- like short-term rental because he's he is an unrestricted free agent after this season. And the Mavs are 1-4 and four with him and Luka. I know it's like a very new acquisition, so they're still figuring it out, but the playoffs are like 20 games away, so you don't really have that much time to figure it out, and at the same time, I think Luka needs more of a front court pairing with him and Seawood rather than a backcourt pairing. I know he's kind of filling up Jalen Brunson's role when he wasn't there, but Kyrie's A, way better than Jalen Brunson, and then B, also a ball dominant guard. He thrives off ball too, but he he's his best when he's controlling the pace of the game with the ball in his hands. And that's just, at the end of the day, a conflict of interest between him and Luca because Luca doesn't really know how to play off ball as much, but he has to Learn some ways, so I think it's going to be beneficial for both of their games, more so Luca, so he can just learn how to play without controlling the pace of the game and every single point generated off of an assist or a score. But at the same time, as I said, I think Kyrie to the Mavs is a short term rental. I don't think they're going to be able to reach an understanding for his new contract in the offseason, and I think Lee GM has just dropped way too many hints, even the latest game with him with LeGM and the Lakers against the Kyrie and the Mavs, M kept playing after he injured his foot just to block Kyrie and just to, like, shout, make his team win, make his voice heard, and basically show Kyrie that, hey, I'm almost 39 in a few months, but I can still average 30 because I am LeBron James, the NBA's leading scorer of all time. So I don't really think he needed to approve that to Kyrie, but I don't know if you guys know this, Kyrie kind of rubbed LeBron in the wrong way a few years ago because when he was disgruntled for being in LeBron's shadow back in the Cavs days, he asked for a trade that landed him in Boston, which he said he wanted to stay there for the rest of his career, which made Boston fans hate him. But at the same time, when he joined the Nets after leaving Boston, after he said that, he also said on the record that he is for the first time being paired up with a player that can take that shot, implying like the go-ahead bucket in a very crunch time situation, that KD, which he signed with on the Nets, is capable of making that last shot. And then he's never felt like anyone who's he ever played with can make that shot. And then, like, LeBron on a Barbers episode was like, bruh, like, hello? (laughs) Are you serious? I can't make that shot. Like, I just think that was very insensitive, even though Kyrie's one of my favorite players. I don't agree with half of the stuff he does off the court and his antics. I think he's very pampered and spoiled, which obviously makes sense. But at the same time, I think he kind of takes it too far and... Props to him for recently, like, kind of maturing. I mean, I guess it's about time. He's 30 now, but better late than never. It's always tough being in that situation as a star athlete, making tens of millions of dollars every season, always the spotlight shining on you. So there's a lot that goes into that. But at the same time, I feel like Kyrie is just known and has a reputation around the league for not being a dependable player, come off the court. However, if he does decide to get on it, he's a superstar, box office, and all that. Kind of like Kawhi, but for different reasons, whereas Kawhi is mostly, like, load managing and sitting to avoid injury. Kyrie's doing it to, like, just have his antics off the court, wherever it might be, from be releasing an anti-Semitic thing on Twitter to basically saying the earth is flat. You can just never guess what's coming next with Kyrie. So honestly, I mean, like I said, he's kind of maturing recently, like releasing a statement saying, oh, like, I was sorry, I was that young player with LeBron and the Cavs and stuff like that. And like, you know, LeBron, he's super nice, super forgiving, like he's not the type to hold a grudge at all. He's just like always smiling because he knows he's like super Humble, you know, that's like the perfect word to describe LeBron in this situation, at least. So he's always willing to take Kyrie back. And I think this offseason coming up, um, followed by one of the most insane and craziest trade deadlines in today's NBA, is going to be maybe even on the same level or crazier. So... Watch out for that coming on this off season. I will try my best to keep uploading regularly because I am so passionate about this and talking about it honestly it just makes me happy for you guys listening in and me kind of just like blurting my thoughts out and just getting it all out there for everyone to hear and know about. So moving on, I want to discuss Damien Liller, Dame Dollar73 one point game like oh my god this guy went crazy he did it in under 40 minutes which basically makes him the only player in nba history to have over 70 points in under 40 minutes he didn't even play 48 he didn't even play the whole game you might say oh well spider donovan mitchell did it early early season well i know but he did it in overtime and he basically got a go-ahead bucket that shouldn't have counted because he traveled. But hey, it's seventy-one. Who cares? Dia wants people to score, and he did. So it looked cool. So the rest let it fly. However, Damian Lillard, damn dollar man, under forty minutes, thirteen from twenty-two from twenty from three. He almost tied Clay Thompson's record. He he tied Query's record for most threes in the game at thirteen. He was one shot of clay thompson's record i wish he had like 15 and made the all-time record because then he would have won the three-point contest made that in the same season when the blazers kept promising him to surround him with a good team and ended up buying grant from detroit like i'm not saying that's a bad move but like that's not enough to win a chip in the west bro like what are you thinking like grant's not gonna get you that far <laughs> Especially when you're freaking starting Josh Hart at the 3 at 6'5". Like, you need more dogs on your team. And he understands that, but his loyalty and his love to the city kind of just eclipses how he really feels about winning. And honestly, I don't want to get into this because I won't stop talking about it, but man, do I think Dame deserves better. Honestly, him, Kyrie, and Steph are the best point guards in today's NBA And they're all north of 30 now, which makes me super sad to say. It's like an end of an era, and Dame's just wasting way more of his time for a franchise that doesn't even care about you, bro. Like You set career highs for them and historic books for pretty much every stat that you lead them for. And you still want to stay there when they keep promising you they're going to build a better team around you. Man, even Clyde left and he won, bro. Like, just leave, win a chip. You deserve it. You're too good. You're on the list of top 75 players of all time. <laughs> Why are you sticking with Portland? Like, even I am a one and a half, two hour drive from watching you play, and I want you to go somewhere else. And that's how I feel because you deserve a, a ring, bro. Like, You're too good to waste your talents in the Pacific Northwest where nobody comes. Like, just honestly, like, let's be honest. If people weren't here for work, they wouldn't be here. So the fact that Dame could go work somewhere like L.A. or, like, a bigger market, which is built around him to win and succeed and highlight his strengths, and he just chooses to stay with the team that drafted him, like, I guess you were, like, too two one-star recruit out of high school like one only one college gave you a chance and then they drafted you like in the top 15 but i mean like something's got to give at the end of the day man you gotta cement your legacy with a ring or people won't remember you for the great player you truly are like you're too good to waste your talents not going to south beach (laughs) go to south beach then they can give you a way better team you and butler would go crazy but yeah As I said, I don't want to keep talking about this because honestly, I won't stop. Like, I'm super passionate about Dame winning, and I don't think he will. And he's just okay with that without being okay with it, which kind of like this doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, (laughs) moving on, I want to talk about the last two games where full court daggers could have taken the game to OT. So, we got Joel Embiid basically almost tying the game from under his basket all the way full court against the Celtics <clears throat> and then you got Paul George doing it against the Kings and none of them got it because they were le- they got released so like so close to before the shot clock expired i feel like players today kind of like program themselves to do that after the buzzer hits because they don't want that to count as a three-point attempt because most of the time it's not going to go in. But, like, PG's full court would have won it because Sacramento won by one. And then Embiid's would have tied it because they were down by three. And imagine how much energy you'd have going into OT with your best player hitting a full court shot at seven foot tall. So, like, honestly, we got robbed of insane, like... The second game with the Embiid the game, we got robbed because that OT would have been insane. But honestly, we did not by any means get robbed when it came to the Sacramento Kings and Los Angeles Clippers game because that game was insane. It was the second most high-scoring game in NBA history and the most high-scoring game in modern NBA history if you count like the 90s even. So basically the top scoring game in like 40, 50 years. And PG almost topped it off with a full court shot that went in if it wasn't for half a second. Like, that's why I started this episode saying that this season is literally one of the craziest of all time. The amount of people averaging over 20, the amount of superstars going berserk, how I talked about the All Star Games format being changed, so to, to include more All Stars, because there simply is more skilled people in today's game. Like if you count All Star stats from two thousand er, and twenty or two thousand and twenty three and two thousand and three, people who were averaging eighteen points were making the team, and now people averaging twenty three aren't. So I think something should be changed so the talent across the league should be recognized in a more legitimate fashion because a lot of players are going unnoticed. Like, a few years ago, Bradley Bia led the goddamn league in scoring without making the All-Star team. Like, that's just not, like, how do you lead the league in scoring but not become an All-Star? Like, that's, ah, whatever. Adam Silver, do your job, please. Like, (laughs) this is a memo from the Shoot Your Shot podcast host to please do your job, bro. You're the commissioner of the NBA. Like, come on. You got to do that. Moving on, I want to talk about how Luka and Kyrie haven't been the best pair. We already kind of touched on that when we talked about the whole KD-Kyrie dynamic in Brooklyn. But honestly, I just feel like two ball-dominant guards without that much wing defense is kind of like a recipe for oh if we don't outscore you because we're that skilled offensively we're gonna lose. So it's a tough situation. Kyrie can play really good off ball. Like I saw a lot of examples of him boxing out someone bigger than him and getting offensive tip-ins and boards and just kind of like making himself useful without the ball. But honestly, I feel like they have to develop that chemistry and 20 games is just not enough. Kyrie kind of finessed himself out of Brooklyn just like Harden did last year. But Harden got the better end of the stick going to play with an MVP candidate in Joel Embiid with a good team, whereas Luca is also an MVP candidate, but he doesn't have that much of a good team, especially compared to Philly because there's a lot of open holes in that team's defense so they gave up their best wing defender in Dorian Finney-Smith which adds to the Nets defensive versatility but when it comes to the Mavs who have title aspirations because of a generational talent like Luka I just you need to do more like Justin Holiday is not gonna do it man like he's not that good he's not that good defensively He's just another spot-up shooter, which you guys have a lot of. So I think the Mavs need to kind of figure it out sooner than later because if they don't, then Kyrie's most likely going to leave, even maybe through a sign and trade. Like I just don't think Kyrie wants to do the early half of his 30s with Luka, with that team at least. I think he'd rather go and maybe be in a bigger city like L.A. with someone he already won a championship with, like LeBron. Speaking of LeBron and the Lakers, I kind of want to talk about how Jeremy Vanderbilt was one of the most instrumental pushes of a player that the Lakers needed, which definitely showed in the game on the 26th against the Mavs, which we just talked about. That game, honestly, if you tuned out in the second quarter when it was a 27-point game, you should have stayed I had a feeling that it was gonna be a good game and I was invited to brunch so I watched the game during brunch on my phone because I had a feeling that it was gonna be that good of a game and guess what it did not disappoint just like the Sacramento uh, Kings and Clippers game didn't disappoint and I just have a feeling when it comes to certain games like that and that one had that so I just kept watching even though I was invited to eat out And let me tell you, it was a cool brunch because I got a hell of a game to watch. Vanderbilt did not have that good of a box score, but your man's Jared... I mean, like he kind of did 15 and 17 as hard. It's like not 20 and 15, but like, that's what I'm saying. He influences the game without scoring, which is something every team needs. He's like a Josh Hart for the Blazers that basically got replaced with Matisse Thybul. He's like that glue guy that every team needs. That's why New York took a gamble on Josh Hart. And guess what? They beat the Celtics today, the best team in the league. Because of people like Josh Hart, you need people like Jared Vanderbilt, which basically do everything for your team to win. All those little things, like Kyle Lowry taking charges. Vanderbilt got so many stops. He got four steals, 17 rebounds, and only 15 points. But he didn't miss the one three he took, and he took really, really timely baskets. So things like that basically give your team three, four, five, six, seven more chances to win the game. Because you get that many more possessions, which equates more chances, which means more opportunities. Even though the Lakers shot abysmal from three at 18%, they went six from 34 from three. See how bad that is? They still won the game. Because why people hustled like Jared Vanderbilt. They got them extra possessions, more looks, better defense, on the main guys like Luca and Kyrie, and people who do that end up winning you games. And then specially paired up with a, a very old but very effective LeBron James, he's going to sh- kind of like save and channel his inner energy, which he has left, to score, make really cru- crucial plays, whereas he can't have it turned on the entire time because he's going to he's going to get warned out. He's almost 40. Whereas Jared Vanderbilt at 23 years old can do that because he has that motor and drive and energy. He's like a Draymond Green that can shoot. This is exactly what the Lakers needed, which basically made a box office game in front of our eyes yesterday. And if you missed it, you should watch the replay because that was one hell of a game. And they're saying that LeBron might be out for the rest of the season. No. Because of a foot injury he sustained, trying to block your man's Kyrie. So honestly, man, y'all should watch that game. You're not going to see LeBron anytime soon. And then if the Lakers don't even make the playoffs, who knows how many more seasons of LeBron we're going to get. Just watch him, appreciate him while you can. And watch how Vanderbilt contributed to winning that game. (laughs) Moving forward, I wanted to talk about Russell Westbrook. Because, (laughs) man's finessed himself, bro. He literally went from the most horrible situation you could possibly be in, being blamed for half of the team's problems, basically all of their mistakes, to going next door, not leaving your hometown of L.A., And surrounding yourself with a team that accentuates your strengths and hides your weaknesses. Like, all he needed was a buyout because ain't nobody was paying $46 million for a guard who can't shoot in 2023. But, like, connections and networking end up placing you where you want to be. Because if it wasn't for PG, which is basically his team with the Clippers, Russ wouldn't be there. But the Clippers actually did a really good move signing Russ. And hear me out. So why I think it's a good move, because the, the Clippers have been in desperate need of a point guard and someone that could basically set the table and set up their wing pair of PG and Kawhi. That's what Kyle Lowry, again, I'm going to mention Kalo every single time I can because he's my favorite player. His jersey's hanging behind me, and he won us a chip. But basically, like, Kalo is setting up Kawhi in the playoffs, it playoffs, he's making his job a lot easier than Kawhi having to do everything by himself, bring the ball up, waste more energy on meaningless situations. He can just get set up at his spot and then score and then play defense. And then that's what the Clippers have been missing. Norman Powell has been doing an okay job. Terrence Mann's been doing well at PG, but those people you can't really rely on down the stretch that much because they're simply not as experienced for Norman Powell, at least at the PG position, because he's not that ball handler you want at those ends. You want him to score. That's why he's in the Clippers' closing lineup, but... You want someone that can kind of like a true point guard set the table for the team. And that's exactly what Russ is excellent at doing. Man's can average like 10 plus assists in his sleep. I'm not saying they're not going to be accompanied by five turnovers. But, you know, he's still giving you those 10 to 15 assists. So... That they're basically like exactly what I said, filling every single hole in the Clippers offense. And then you're hiding Russ's weaknesses because he's totally constantly being surrounded by shooting on the Clippers. They, they're one of the best three point shooting team in the league, whereas the Lakers are on the tail end of that stick with being the one of the well uh, uh, before the trade, at least now they're really good with people like Beasley letting it fly the whole time. But he literally finessed his way into the Clippers because of PG. PG's been kind of, like, talking about it in the media, about how, like, someone like him deserves, a like, a really good spot with a contender. And, like, he's biased, obviously, because PG had his best year playing with Russ in OKC, and he was third in MVP voting that year. So, obviously, he's going to want him to come through because they need a PG. PG needs a PG. Paul George needs a point guard in Russ. And he had his best season playing alongside him. So, I wonder why Russell Westbrook is in a Clippers jersey right now. But, yeah, honestly, I think that's like the best case scenario for both teams. Now, Russ won't be scapegoated every time the Lakers end up going on a woe and Russ can like, as he said, be somewhere where people want him to be, and like just not become alienated the whole time, like he's a good person, he doesn't deserve that, it's not his fault, he has like a 6'9 wingspan at 6'3", it makes it really hard to shoot, that's why he keeps grabbing boards and hustle, so that's what he brings to the team, right, obviously it's not worth 46 mil, but I'll take it for a minimum. Like, that's what the Clippers did. That's why it's a W signing, because they're taking him for the minimum. Russell Westbrook, 2017 MVP. So, honestly, he's like an old John Morant at this point, but can, like, deliver dimes on a daily basis. So, for, an, for a minimum, for a team that's dealt most of their point guards during this trade deadline, I'll take it. It's a really good situation for them. And best part is, Mez literally didn't even have to relocate cities. He's been established in L.A. since the trade in 2021, and now he can just stay there. Because he literally switched teams right next door. Basically got the same stadium. The Clippers aren't done building the stadium they want in L.A. So I'm really intrigued to see how that game's going to end up when they end up playing the Lakers. Unfortunately, LeBron's going to sit out because of the foot issue we touched on earlier this episode. But it's still going to make it for a hell of a playoff series if that happens. If the Lakers manage to squeeze into the plane, I don't know at this point. They've been looking good, but without LeBron, man, AD's a piece of glass, so we'll see what happens. But yeah, I think that was kind of finessed to become the best possible situation for both teams. LA got a lot better, and then the Clippers are basically filling in their holes that they needed to be plugged in, both offensively and defensively. So it was a win-win. I'm happy for both teams and situations that that went through. Speaking of playoff matches that we want to see, how crazy would a Mavs and Sons playoff series be? And that's kind of realistic because they're close in the standings, and we both know both of them are making the playoffs with a really far push in mind. So just imagine the competitiveness we'd see from Kyrie versus KD and Luka versus your boy Booker. From that history with that meme of Luka looking over him and then Devin Booker falling, saying that Luka's special... Man, you know both teams are going to come out with the guns firing. You know I like both teams. I really like Kyrie and uh, Luca better in terms of their games and just from a pure fan perspective and standpoint. But I'm not going to lie. My man's KD with Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton and D-Book. I think they got it in the bag. They have a deeper team. They have better defense. They have better scoring. Honestly. Their scoring is kind of on par with Ma- with the Mavs because I'll say Katie's like Luka. They're both averaging north of 30, and then Kyrie can compare it to Book. Kyrie's a little bit more skillful with the ball, but when it comes to shot making, they're kind of on the same level, which is actually insane because Kyrie's been doing it for a lot longer, and D-Book was not really that important in college at least, whereas Kyrie was. But yeah, it's crazy how progression happens in the NBA uh, yeah, you got your man, D-Book, who basically was, like, a th- bench warmer in college, who's, like, a perennial all-star in today's NBA, so, yeah, I mean, it, it would be a really nice playoff series to witness, it would be a treat to watch in front of our eyes, I think I would definitely know life watching that series, because it would just, like, popcorn all day kind of vibes, you know, so, Definitely circle that on your calendar if it comes up, and I would be more than happy to talk about it after the series on this very podcast, so be on the lookout. <laughs> well, yeah, so the last thing I kind of want to end with today's episode is kind of like a weird thing starting a number 38 with LeBron's scoring record being broken recently, so this is, like, just off the top of my head. Like, if you want me to bring up the script, it's way more Illuminati vibes. But basically, so, let's rewind back to when Kareem broke the record. Kareem broke the record, and at that point, LeBron was basically, like, born. Because he, the record stood for 38 years, right? And LeBron's 38 now, right? And he needed 38,388 points to break it, right? And he did it on the night that he was versing OKC, which is followed by when he would have played the Bucks, which is the team that drafted Kareem, which would have been even more crazy but he did it against the team which he dropped 38 points to beat the record in three quarters whereas when he was drafted in 2003 he had the exact same game against the thunder scoring 38 20 years ago i i just think the amount of 38s In that sentence is weird. The fact that LeBron was conceived when Kareem broke it and it stood for 38 years. LeBron broke it when he was 38 years old. He scored 38 points. Like, it's just, there's a lot of 38s, you know? 38,388 points, three quarters. He checked out with eight seconds remaining in the third quarter. Like, nah, I'm done. Illuminati, I'm done. Moving on. <laughs> um, yeah, so I kind of want to close this episode by saying that this season is basically like a real treat for everyone watching it. It's about to end soon, which kind of brings my eyes to tears because the NBA season is one of the best forms of entertainment for me at least the amount of skill talent uh storylines we get to see across the season the amount of breakout players that come about every season kind of keeps it with that fresh perspective where you never know what you're going to come to see next every game so different so unique you get insane outcomes happening like for example if kd were a half size less shoe the bucks wouldn't be champions because he would have synced one of the craziest um, shots in NBA history. You have people coming out firing guns every season to declare themselves. When John Morant came out a few seasons ago, Zion coming out, we got Paolo this year, we got crazy people being drafted next year, we got everyone tanking for the phenom of a player that we want to get drafted with, Juan We just got an insane season that we're about to finish. We got the Bucks going on a 14-game streak late in the season to tell Boston to hold up because they're still there. They're still champions as of two years ago. We got the Warriors with a chip on their shoulders saying, no, we're not a 500 team. We got our best players sitting out, and we're still here to play Got the Lakers with the largest comeback of the season with 27 points saying, we will fight for a playing spot no matter what. And I cannot be more happy to report it to you all. And please watch out for the rest of the season. The playoffs are going to be a hell of a treat. And I cannot wait to share it with you guys as it happens live on Shoot Your Shot. It has been your host, Fuad Kadora. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you guys next time.